We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. I'm Trevor Lane. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. Oh, boy. Just a few hours ago, we got the Anthony Davis injury news. We have the timeline. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about what it means for the Lakers and where things stand heading into the All-Star break. Joining me is Ron Gutterman from LakersNation.com. Ron, how are you doing, man? Doing all right. You know, just... uh another Anthony Davis injury so you know this is kind of where our season is at this like we thought last year was the you know like the season that just was everything went wrong Mm -hmm. and then this season came and I kind of missed last season (laughs) I think that's part of why and we've talked about this a bit in the postgame show why we've seen the level of frustration that we have from Lakers fans it's because it's not just this season it's the cumulative effect of the last two seasons now combined where it's really just felt like one injury after another with the caveat that last season we saw them actually play good basketball and for the most part this season we haven't seen that and we've dealt with the injuries that the team has been experiencing now the second serious injury for Anthony Davis that's going to keep him out for a length of time in fact I should mention here for anybody who hasn't heard the news yet you've probably heard it by now but Anthony Davis midfoot sprain which can be a little bit vague, but midfoot sprain, according to the Lakers, will be reevaluated in four weeks. So four weeks till reevaluation. Rod, what's your what's your take then on when we actually see Anthony Davis back out on the, the basketball floor? Well, I mean, the only silver lining is like at least the first eight days of that, the Lakers don't play. Mm-hmm. So like instead of missing four weeks of games, he's only missing three weeks of games. Like that's you know, one silver lining. But then again, we know the Lakers have a tendency to under underestimate or overpromise uh, when it comes to returns of their star players. Kendrick Nunn at one point was two to three weeks, and that was five months ago. So, you know, th- this is just one of those things where we, we say four weeks, but Four could quickly turn into six, which could quickly turn into eight. And then next thing you know, the season's over. And the key word there is reevaluation, 
he's being reevaluated in four weeks. And so the last time that Anthony Davis was up for reevaluation, we heard pretty pretty quickly after the reevaluation date came and went, okay, he's good. He's cleared to return to practice. Okay, great. Then it was about a week or so of AD needs to practice, get his legs under him. Okay, now he's back out on the court. So this news doesn't mean Anthony Davis is back in four weeks. This probably means best case scenario. Best case, we're looking at five weeks, which by my math, that would put him out for probably somewhere in the range of the next 15-ish, 16 games. So best case, you're probably looking at like, I don't know, eight or nine games left on the schedule when AD returns. And that's best case. If he goes to that reevaluation meeting, right? They do all the scans, all that kind of stuff. Goes to that appointment and everything's not 100%. He's not cleared to return to practice. Then we could be looking at kind of like last season where it's like, does he get back in time for any regular season games? What are we looking at here? Can we get him back for the play-in tournament? We're running out of time very, very quickly. And how quickly this injury heals for AD is going to be very important for the Lakers and how the season ultimately ends up. Yeah, look, Anthony Davis is is crucial to what the Lakers do. Um, and, and him being gone for such a large percentage of this season, it's certainly contributed to why there's been so many issues. Obviously, issues go beyond, you know, the injuries to Anthony Davis. But yeah, it's a lot. I talked about this a little bit on the front <laughs> office show yesterday with, uh, with Keith Smith. One of the things that I dislike the most about the Anthony Davis injury, besides the injury itself, by the way, it was a horrific injury, right? Just to watch. I mean, just, yeah. it's it's one of those injuries where when you see it, you're you're in pain just watching it. Like, awful. His ankle touched the floor. I've, I've on purpose tried to avoid the replays of it. Um, but what I really disliked was the general response that I saw across social media from some Lakers fans, but also a lot of non Lakers fans. A lot of people saying, chalking this up to, oh, there it is. It's street clothes again. And by the way, if there was a way to go back in time and undo Charles Barkley saying those words, I think that it's it's turned Anthony Davis's injuries concerns into a joke. And in my mind, even if you're going to say, oh, a guy's injury prone, a player getting hurt is never, it's never a joke. It's never something to make fun of or laughing matter or anything like that. And I saw a lot of that going on on social media. What was really gross is I even saw fans of other teams actively celebrating. Like, I don't want to just single them out, but like I saw Pelican fans actively celebrating the injury to to Anthony Davis. Um, and again, there's I would not assume that that's the entire group or anything like that. Just I happen to see those ones. Uh, but with AD, it's because he's gotten this reputation as being injury prone that the reaction on social media, and I think perhaps also because he's a Laker, is different than when we see another player suffer any kind of a, a serious injury and that that part on top of just the injury itself really did not sit well with me yeah yeah it's another case of like social media social media in general has sort of like ruined basketball discourse and obviously it's a lot of why we like people like us have platforms but it's sort of ruined basketball and sports discourse mm -hmm. because it it boils things down to such simplistic viewpoints where it's Anthony Davis, like you either love him or he's street clothes, he's injury prone, he's useless, trade him. And there's no in between, there's no room for any, like, there's no room for anything else in the middle. And that's sort of what's happened with Anthony Davis specifically. And I'm sure there are plenty of other players that we could do that 
you know, you, it boils down so much with them. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of the main takeaway I have from seeing the social media reaction to his injury. I think that's what's going to be interesting here with, with Anthony Davis is, is how quickly he recovers from this. Obviously it was, it did, it did not look good when it happened. He was in a lot of pain. It's how quickly he recovers. And then can he be at what 90% or whatever? I mean, look, we saw LeBron last season recover from an ankle injury and he wasn't hundred percent come playoff time. And I know right now we're not looking at the Lakers as a true championship contender, but this isn't a team where they can just pack it in either, right? They're, they're, there's no draft pick that they've got this year to tank for or anything like that. So they've got to push for as many wins as possible. And Anthony Davis is going to be a big part of that. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how this ultimately winds up. What about the rest of the team? We saw the Lakers come together. Um, we had heard all the talk about, okay, they've got more energy there's a, there's a new air around the Lakers now that the trade deadline is passed. Season starts now, right? And they found a way to get the win against the Utah Jazz. So moving forward, without Anthony Davis, what do the Lakers do from here? Are, are they able to go on any kind of a sustained run without him? I mean, look, they, they played, what, two games after the trade deadline passed, the Warriors and then the Jazz. Um, and based on those two games alone... It was the first time this season where, like, they said something in a press conference and then actually did it in a game. Mm -hmm. And that was, like, really fun to see. Uh, I love when, you know, teams generally follow what they say off the court. Um, so, yeah, that like, if if you want to take some positives away, even without Anthony Davis, you, you go out of the All-Star break in eight days, you come back, and there is a renewed energy because you said – hey, the trade deadline passed, we feel really good. And then you go out and you put together two really, really great performances, mm -hmm. one win, one loss, against two really good teams. That's what I was saying coming out of the Golden State loss. And a lot of people were upset with me, saying there is no, no, there's no such thing as moral victories. And I made the argument, looking back on the schedule, all the games the Lakers lost that they shouldn't have, the kind of gimme games. And I know, look, this team's not good. People want to say they just are what their record says and everything. I get it. But talent-wise, this team is not on the level of OKC or, or the depleted Blazers. or the, you know, Talent-wise, they've got more. If they had played the entire season, which is impossible, but if they had played the entire season with the effort and energy that we saw against the Warriors and against the Jazz, you're probably talking about eight more wins. I actually went back through the schedule and looked to see, you know, okay, do they win this game if they're given their best effort? You're probably talking about eight more wins, and the narrative around this team is completely different. Maybe it's too little too late, but above all else, I would love to see this team continue the effort, the intensity on the defensive end of the floor through the remainder of the season. I think, again, too little too late, but if nothing else, let's see them fight for the remainder of the season for whatever of it is left, and then let the chips fall where they may and go from there. And hopefully Anthony Davis is able to come back injury-free. Yeah, and... Um... You know, it's speaking of, you know, letting the chips fall where they may, um, we're just going to do this as a blanket response to everyone that comments this. Uh, the Lakers are not trading Anthony Davis this summer, most likely. Like, okay, I'm not going to say 100%. I'm going to say 99.9%. .9%. The Lakers are not trading Anthony Davis this summer, and they have no reason to, and that would be very foolish. And, and of course, you're responding to Stephen A. Smith and his big and, – and look, Stephen A. Smith, he's made a, a very – very lucrative career, very successful career on making bold statements, right? Saying, saying things that can be a little bit over the top. And he suggests, okay, the Lakers need to trade Anthony Davis. 
which let's face it, that that resonated with some Lakers fans. There are some Lakers fans that are upset with AD for getting injured and for being, as they say, injury prone. Um, and they believe he does need to be traded. However, I think one of the things that we forget, and sometimes we're, we're quick to do this. Oh, Russell Westbrook's not, not working out. Trade him. Somebody's going to give you something for him, right? Yes, other teams are looking at a guy who's not succeeding somewhere, and they definitely want to trade for that. But with Anthony Davis in, in particular, it's not like a normal player. The relationship the Lakers have with LeBron and Anthony Davis is not the same as the relationship they have with Kent Bazemore or even Russell Westbrook, right? Because they've developed this true partnership. I mean, LeBron and AD have a say in what free agents they go after, in what trades they execute, because they are star-level players. It would take Anthony Davis going to the Lakers and saying, trade me for them to deal him. I don't see that happening, but that is what would have to happen if Anthony Davis were to go onto the market. This isn't going to be uh, the Lakers decide the best path forward is to trade him. Yeah, and that's because, realistically, the best path, there is no way where the best path is to trade him, right? Unless, you know, somebody's offering you a player better than Anthony Davis, but no one's doing that. Mm -hmm. So that that's kind of where you're at, where the, there is no way the best path forward is to trade Anthony Davis. So it's it's not going to happen unless he asks for it, which I don't see happening. Um, just don't see a world in which... You know, you've won a championship in L.A., you got paid in L.A., you live in L.A., and now you're going to say, you know what, now nah, let's pack it up and go go play less meaningful basketball in a worse, like in a colder city or a, or a just less desirable place. I mean, if we wanted to start getting into fantasy basketball and stuff, there's there's some teams that could put together some interesting trade packages and stuff. But again, ultimately, it comes back to this is a partnership, and they're not going to do it unless A.D., ask for a trade they're not going to actively shop and just same thing with lebron same thing i've seen some fans that have said oh you know why don't why don't they start you know they, let's get a rebuild going let's see if we can trade lebron no they're not going to trade lebron they're not going to do that right now we've seen that over the years the lakers have cultivated a reputation as being a team that takes care of their stars and anthony davis and lebron james are stars they're not going to trade them unless something outrageous happens and the only reason why i add that in is because it's the nba you never know for sure. So crazy stuff happens. Pau Gasol gets traded for Kwame Brown and Javaris Crittenden, right? I mean, like crazy stuff happens sometimes in this league. But most likely, the path that the Lakers are going to take this season, it's not going to involve trading either Anthony Davis or LeBron James. Yeah, and I, it's the right call. Um, building a roster around them has won a championship in the past, and it can realistically win a championship in the future. Okay, let's take a quick look at the standings. Right now, the Lakers are sitting in the ninth seed. They have a two-and-a-half game lead over the surging Portland Trailblazers. Much to the dismay of some Blazers fans, the, the, the suddenly the Portland Trailblazers gutted their roster, and now they're winning. Go figure. They even beat that's the, the power of That's the power of Anthony Simons and Yusuf Nurkic, <laughs> the, the, next great, the next great guard big man duo in this league. Uh, apparently... Apparently, I mean, and then you had the Pelicans and the Kings both made moves to try to get better at the trade deadline, and now both of them are on losing streaks. The Blazers tried to gut their roster in order to lose more games, and they're on a four-game winning streak. In fact, right now, behind only the Phoenix Suns, the Blazers have the longest winning streak in the Western Conference. Unbelievable. You just never and know with this league. But in any against, event, 
It's the Memphis Grizzlies who are the, I, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies are 41 and 19 mm-hmm. against the Memphis Grizzlies. Anthony Simons and Yusuf Nurkic combined for 63 points on 23 of 35 shooting. Um, ridiculous, ridiculous numbers. Josh Hart, Josh Hart had 22 on seven of 12 from the field, eight rebounds, seven assists. Like this has just become a ridiculously good team for five games. I don't know. Uh, and you and I were talking about this a little bit off air. I don't want to go too deep down the, the rabbit hole here with the Blazers, but they lose their pick if they make the playoffs. So they've, they've got, <laughs> there's incentive here for them to tank. I think they're still going to be in the play in tournament regardless, but the Lakers, they're sitting in the nine seed right now. They do have a lead still over the Portland Trailblazers for 10. Doesn't matter all that much in my mind, whether they're nine or 10 right now, though. Um, the key is, can they get up to eighth? Because if you're seventh or eighth, you only have to win one game in the play-in tournament. Uh, whereas if you are nine or 10, you have to win two games. And so obviously you don't want to be in the play-in tournament, period. But there's a six-game gap between the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets, so you're probably not making that up. You're not going to get up to the sixth seed, so you at least want to get to the point where you only have to win one game in order to get through. You're in a double elimination situation. They're going to be, as soon as the the final buzzer sounds here between Houston and the Clippers, it's going on right now as we're recording this, uh, they're going to be a game and a half behind the Clippers. Now, they play the Clippers twice, though. They play the Clippers twice, in the the remainder of the season without Anthony Davis can this team get up to the eighth seed the seventh seed they are they're what four and a half games back in the seventh seed I mean that's that's pretty tough but can they at least get up to the eighth seed do you think yeah I think the Lakers and the Clippers appear to be about even in terms of like how they play on a game-to-game basis um the Lakers have a little more talent because, you know, Kawhi and Paul George are out, but the Clippers play harder as a unit. Mm-hmm. So they win, like, they win as much as the Lakers do. Um, yeah, I think the Lakers would be very motivated to get to the eighth seed. Because if you if you finish at nine, uh, the, only, the only path into the playoffs is winning two games and you're the eighth seed. You have to face the Phoenix Suns. Um, I don't think the Lakers want that again. That was very painful last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want that again. If they get up to eight and they win that play-in game against what would be the Minnesota Timberwolves right now, which is, you know, the Timberwolves have had their way with the Lakers this year. They're two and one, I believe. Especially on the boards. Uh, They've crushed them. Yeah. So, but if you can get past them, uh, you set up a series with most likely Golden State, but potentially Memphis. And those are two teams that the Lakers have beaten this year. Or no, they've not beaten the Warriors, but they've gotten really, they've played really well against the Warriors mm-hmm. and they've beaten the Grizzlies. Um, so this is one of those where, you know, you could, you know, see, you could talk yourself into a, a seven game series, right? If they're up against the Phoenix Suns in the first round, you know, might as well pack it up. That's not going their way. The Suns are just a juggernaut. So. That's just kind of how that's the motivation I would have to mm-hmm. get up to eight as opposed to nine, less so the winning two games, but more so being having a chance at seven versus eight. And yeah, you're right. The, and I guess we should spell out the way this works. So if you are it, first round of the play in tournament, seven plays eight and the winner is the seven seed. So if you are seven or eight, it doesn't doesn't matter if you get up to eight, you could still wind up being seven. You just have to win that one game. Uh, nine and 10 play and the winner survives. The loser goes home. 
That's the way that works. The winner of the 9-10 game then plays the loser of the 7-8 game to determine who is the 8th seed in the conference. That's the way that's going to work. So if you are in 9 or 10, the best you can do is get up to the 8th seed and then you're destined for a date with the Phoenix Suns in round one. And I agree. I agree. And I'm not going to favor the Lakers against the Warriors. I wouldn't even favor the Lakers against the Grizzlies. But I would prefer, if I'm the Lakers, to see the Warriors or the Grizzlies Instead of seeing the Suns, I think that it's close. The Warriors have played at a high level. Draymond Green's been out for a while now. Perhaps getting him back bumps them back up. But in terms of what we've seen in overall quality for the mo- for the bulk of the season, Phoenix has been in a tier by themselves, but the Warriors have been close. And I do wonder, Chris Paul with this latest hand injury, I don't know how long that potentially lingers. Maybe that is something that we factor in as the weeks go on. But for right now, if you're the Lakers, you would much rather see, I think, the Warriors or potentially the Grizzlies in, in the uh, the first round. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, no, I mean, look, the Suns, they've won seven straight, nine of their last ten. They're 22-5 and five on the road. Like, they're... This is just a very, very good team. Um, I wouldn't give them a chance against the Suns, but if if you have a chance to play Golden State or Memphis, you're not favored. But I would give them, you know, a fighter's chance to to make that interesting. Um, and obviously, you know, the platitudes are 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 the way they are for a reason. If you have LeBron James in a seven game series, you know, odds tell you you feel pretty good about that. Uh, but against Phoenix, I would just I it it'd just be it'd be sad. I think it'd be a sad way to go out again. <laughs> again, second year in a row. It does feel like in some ways we're trapped in Groundhog Day here. Um with this season compared to last season. Another, you know, an Anthony Davis injury down the stretch. Can AD get back and be healthy and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um and then of course last season was essentially undone. I think the Lakers had a really good chance to knock off the Suns in round one last season until Anthony Davis's injury hit. And of course, Chris Paul getting healthier, that 100% a factor. But still, Anthony Davis's injury, I think, really swung that series. The Lakers were up 2-1. to one. This Lakers team, though, I wouldn't favor over the Suns. They haven't shown the consistency to get to that level. Not quite like we saw a healthy Lakers team do last season. Yeah, and I, I don't... The Suns, not to get too deep into the Suns, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a Lakers duo here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if you see it this way, but I don't think the Suns have shown any discernible weaknesses this season. I, 
they lost DeAndre Ayton for a time. They've they've had a little bit of injuries here and there, and they've just like it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee are are out here given really quality minutes. Like it's just it doesn't matter who they throw out there, they just win basketball games. And and like you said, they've been relatively healthy for the season. Um and again, they've they've had a few guys miss some games here and there and stuff, but compared to the rest of, of the league, they've been pretty pretty darn healthy. In fact, if you look at the the minutes of the Suns starting five compared to whatever the next highest grouping is for the Lakers, it's something like they've played like five or six times more (laughs) minutes together as a unit just this season than any lineup the Lakers have had. So that, you know, I mean, that's, that's part of it. That's part of the game being able to win at this, in this game, it part of it is health and being able to stay healthy. The Lakers haven't been able to do that. Um, I do want to talk about, so that that's kind of the situation the Lakers are in right now in terms of, the standings coming out of the all-star break, what that's going to look like, where things can go from here. But one guy that I think we need to talk a little bit about is everybody's favorite Laker, Russell Westbrook. So we've seen now a couple of pretty solid games in a row for Russ. He did have five turnovers against the Utah Jazz, but he also made star level plays down the stretch against Utah, right? Like the, the plays where you think, okay, this is a big moment. We need somebody to step up and do something big here. And Russ did it. He even knocked in a couple of clutch free throws. So we've also seen a shift in the way Russell Westbrook is playing. In the role, he's been more of an off-ball guy. So, Ron, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this yet. What has your take been on Russell Westbrook and the changing role that we're starting to see with the Lakers, can this uh, the success that we've seen recently be sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a part of it feels like the trade deadline passed and he was sort of the cloud around the Lakers at the mm-hmm. trade deadline was, are they going to abandon the Russell Westbrook experiment? Are they going to stand by their guy? And I think when the Lakers brass, the front office, which the reports are saying that they like, they said... You know, Ramona Shelburne reported something along the lines of like the the ownership basically went to LeBron and AD and said, you built this, you fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think them saying, hey, look, this is what we're doing. You guys can figure like we believe in you figure this out. I think to Russell Westbrook, that was like confirmation in a sense that, OK, I'm not getting traded. I can now focus on helping this team without having that in the back of my head at all times. And if, you know, if the fans yell at me, whatever, it doesn't matter because I'm here the rest of the year. We have to figure this out. And I I think that has sort of shifted the whole dynamic of the team. And in the last two games, the role he's played has been kind of exactly the role that I was hoping he was going to play when the season started. In what in what ways? What do you so when you say the role that, that he's been playing, what's what's the big change that you've seen from him? Yeah, I'm seeing uh, basically it's it's obviously a little more complex than this. I'm trying to really simplify sure. it, but it's go corner to corner, hover, hover the perimeter. When you get the ball, it's drive, drive and score or drive and kick or get rid of the ball immediately. Like, don't just stand mm-hmm. on the perimeter, dribble, 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 you know, move around, take a take a bad jump shot. It's when you get the ball in the perimeter, you're driving you're either scoring, kicking, or you're getting rid of the ball immediately. Don't even dribble. I think that's what I've seen the last two games. 
I think it does represent a shift. And I think that this all ties in. Ron, when we're talking about this, it, it, it's all linked to this big concept of Frank Vogel has suddenly been empowered to bench Russell Westbrook. And so there were some reports, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who this exactly came from, but essentially the, the implication was that there were people within the Lakers that felt like Russell Westbrook had not truly been coached the way he needed to be coached just yet. And that wasn't necessarily a shot at Frank Vogel. It, was, it wasn't until the power was given from above to bench him if he wasn't doing what he needed to do. That's when things started to click and it was, okay, now we can coach him the way we need to. And if he's not doing what we need him to, there's a seat over here on the bench and we've got other guys that are going to go in and do the things that we need them to do. So now we're seeing a change and we're seeing the ball in the hands of Malik Monk more. We're seeing him initiate the offense. We're seeing Russ off ball more. And you would think on, on the surface, okay, Russell Westbrook off the ball. Is that really what you want? He gives you no floor spacing. Nobody's going to care about him standing behind the arc. And that's true. You watch the Utah game. How many times did Russ's defender just say, cool, you stay out there. I'm going to go stand over here in the paint. But guess what Russell Westbrook did? He started slipping. We saw him even get a backdoor cut against Bogdanovich because Bogdanovich didn't care about him and Russ got an easy bucket at the rim. And then he's also acting on the attack uh, as the secondary guy. So you get somebody else, whether it's Monk or whoever, right? Gets a little pick and roll action and then they're firing it out to Russ and Russ is attacking an already discombobulated defense, a defense that's already been put through the mixer because they've been dealing with a Monk LeBron pick and roll or something like that. That's kind of shuffled things up a little bit. So that's made life a little bit easier on Russ. He's not attacking a set defense where all they're running is a high pick and roll for him anymore. And I think what's interesting, he said this um, after the win against the Jazz. He said, I think we're playing, and he was responding to a question about the trade deadline. He said, I think we're playing a little different than we played before. Once I'm in a position to do things on and on the floor to help win games, that's all that matters because ultimately all the numbers and stats and all that stuff doesn't really mean nothing if you don't win. And for me, I want to make sure that I'm playing the right way and playing good basketball for the betterment of my team. And that's all I can worry about. Not, not worried about those triple doubles, not worried about the stats. It's what can I do to help the team win? I wonder how much the ability to now be benched has to do with that. But I also think that the shift that we've seen to more off-ball Russell Westbrook, it's been a positive both for the team and for Russ himself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm laughing because that that quote sounds like it's um, like if you could put like the perfect NBA player quote <laughs> into like a generator, right. spit it out, that's what you would get. It's very funny to hear that come from Russell Westbrook, who's like, the last person to give that type of quote. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting to hear. But yeah, uh, we are seeing a little bit of a shift and maybe, and hopefully after the trade deadline or after the all-star break, sorry, when, you know, we've had some time to sit on this and look at the film from the last two games. Now, now the Lakers can sort of set something up and they know they're not going to have Anthony Davis for a while. So it's not like we, they can't use like, Oh, you know, it was a shock to our system that we don't have him. Now they have time to to set what is our game plan without Anthony Davis for the next three, four, five weeks. How are we going to play? And I think you can use that fourth quarter against the Jazz as like all the evidence you need of what this team could do. I mean, I've been I've been on this train all year. 
in the fourth quarter, they played Russell Westbrook with Taylor Horton Tucker, and it worked. Like, that was the most shocking thing in the world because the whole year I've been saying, separate the two of them. Mm -hmm. They don't fit. It's horrible. But in that fourth quarter, it worked. And now the Lakers need to go back and understand how it worked and how they can replicate it moving forward. Oh, I, I can tell you why it worked. It worked because they got stops. It worked because of the defense. And going small might not be the like the knee-jerk reaction to, okay, we're playing against Rudy Gobert, but it was essentially LeBron and four guards out there. It was what? LeBron, Russ, THT, Austin Reeves. Right. That, that was your essentially your lineup. And Malik Monk. That's your lineup that's out there on the floor. LeBron and four guards. That's about as small of a lineup as you can put out there. But they were getting stops. Russell Westbrook was doing his thing on the boards. He even had four offensive rebounds in that game. And because you got stops, the Lakers were able to get in transition where Russell Westbrook thrives. It all comes back to the defense. This team is not great in the half court, but if they get stops, if they're not taking the ball out of their basket, they can be really dangerous. And that's exactly what we saw. They held the Jazz, one of the best offenses in the NBA right now, to 22 points in the fourth quarter because they put in the effort, the energy on the defensive end of the floor, and that sparked their offense and got them going. So I'm hoping that that's also what we see coming out of the All-Star break because that's going to be the key for this team moving forward. That's going to be the key for Russell Westbrook. Can you get stops? Because if you can... This is a totally different animal, and if they can't, they're kind of dead in the water. Yeah, and I think defensively they made a shift to using THT and Austin Reeves as sort of, you know, like pseudo forwards where they were playing against like bigger wings and somehow I think I think because of the lack of space with Rudy Gobert in the lineup, I think that's how it was able to work mm -hmm. because you don't really need to switch everything five out. You only need to switch everything four out. That makes things a little bit easier on your on your you know THTs and Austin Reeves who are undersized forwards. It, it worked, um, and I think it is a formula that you can use, right? You can look at this and say, okay, coming back from the break, we have uh, we can go through their schedule at some point, but it's like the Clippers, the Warriors, the Pelicans, like these are teams that you now you can game plan for these four or five games out of the break and use it to get some momentum. This is this is the last really the last chance you have to like make a run this year. These first, the first five games coming out of the break, Clippers, Pelicans, Mavs, Clippers, Warriors. Mm. Yeah, that's, well, that's tough. That's tough. But well, I'll tell you what, if you're the Lakers, you focus on Clippers and Clippers. If you're going to, and look, fortunately, neither of those games is the second night of a back-to-back. If you're going to do anything, if you're conserving energy for anything, whatever, you go all out in those two. Those two games, because you're chasing the Clippers, are the most important games on the schedule. Hopefully they can get those wins, but that is a tough five-game stretch coming right out of the gate. Yeah, but, you know, if you want to take some silver linings here, you can focus on the Clippers for the standings purposes. Mm -hmm. And then we always know that LeBron James scores 45 points when he plays Luka Doncic. So <laughs> that's going to go great, I think. <laughs> Uh, all right. I want to talk a little bit uh, about the kind of the Lakers goals to finish the season, just to wrap things up here. So I've talked about this a little bit on the show already on, in previous episodes, but when I look at, at this Lakers team and, and fans, are, you know, there's some fans who have checked out by this point and I get it. It's been a frustrating season. There's no question. And we talked already about the cumulative effect of last season being frustrating as well. But in terms of things to watch for everybody that's, that's hung in there, that's toughed it out. It's not just about 
what the Lakers do this season. Because let's face it, for a lot of Lakers fans, it's championship or bust. It sure, it sure doesn't look like a championship is in the cards this season. I mean, maybe they go on some crazy run, but that's eh, pretty unlikely. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. So, the focus then, in terms of if you are one of those people that's already looking ahead to next season, it's getting the best you can out of Russell Westbrook and out of Taylor Horton Tucker specifically, because those guys, their perceived value around the NBA is largely going to determine what you're able to do this offseason. So, and Kendrick Nunn as well in that, because I do see him picking up that 5.2 million player option. So him getting back onto the floor and showing something could wind up being being important too. So in terms of what we're watching for, for the remainder of the season, yes, win as many games as you can, go as deep as you can in the playoffs, make a run, give Lakers fans something to be proud of. Please let's do all of that. But for next season, in terms of the moves they can make this off season, it's important that they see something out of Russell Westbrook, maybe something that other teams might say, Oh, as a $47 million expiring contract. Okay. All right, maybe we can give a little bit of, of value there, or we don't look at that as a complete negative, right? Just to open up some possibilities. And then Taylor Horton Tucker. The word at the trade deadline was some teams saw him as a negative value. You want that narrative to change by summertime. So in my mind, Ron, and I haven't asked you about it yet, but those things are top on my priority list aside from just winning basketball games for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I think uh, Russell Westbrook, specifically um Taylor Horton Tucker look it's it's not the worst thing in the world if you hold on to a 21 year old right like if they don't trade him this this offseason whatever like it, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a 21 year old on on a roster that's largely older um so I'm okay with that but Russell Westbrook's the big one is they need to spend whatever they can do the next two three months find a way to show an effective Russell Westbrook and a consistent Russell Westbrook so the last two games, you saw a glimpse, okay, wow, he can he can impact a basketball game without needing the ball in his hands the whole time, getting a 30-point triple-double. Like He doesn't need to do all these things to be impactful on the game. He can score 18, 20 points, get five assists, five rebounds, and have a wildly impactful game. I mean, you said earlier that he had five turnovers against the Jazz, but I don't even think anyone noticed. I, I don't think anyone after the game was like, Russ and his five turnovers mm -hmm. because it it felt like he was playing a much more complete game. And so we kind of forgave the five turnovers. He had games earlier in the year where he only had three in the stat sheet, but it felt like he had 30. And <laughs> yeah. and 
And the other night he had five, but it felt like he had one or two that actually impacted the game. So if you can find a way to channel what happened the last two games and expand it over the next 25, 30, now now in the offseason teams are going to say, you've shown us what Russell Westbrook can be if you limit him a little bit. It's not a complete disaster. And we're willing to take it on because our cap sheet will be clean next year. Mm -hmm. And now that now you start to have a conversation where it's not just, okay, we'll, we'll take Russ, but you have to give us everything you have to do it. Now it's, let's start to make a negotiation about what this trade actually looks like. So when I'm, when I'm looking at Russ, I, I want to clarify something here. I, I'm not just thinking in terms of trade value either. You, if, there's a chance that you get into the offseason regardless of what Russ does for the rest of this season and you don't find a taker for him. $47 million is $47 million. Yeah. It's easier to move in the offseason when teams have open roster spots and all that kind of stuff, but maybe you don't. Imperative then that you figure things out now and that you know exactly what you need to do with Russ for next season because that that could happen. I know a lot of Lakers fans, you're probably throwing your screen right now. Um, <laughs> that That could happen. Right. That's that's a possibility. So if that's the case and Russ is still a Laker next year and look, let, let's face it, if he plays the way he did against the Warriors and the Jazz in these last two, people probably aren't that upset about it. Right. But if yeah. if Russ is going to be a Laker next year, you need to figure it out this year, whatever it is, whatever the, the secret sauce is to make it work or come as close as you can to make it work. You've got to figure that out now so that you've got that heading into next season. Yeah. And I, I think. That, that's what I'm saying. The first five games out of the break are going to be really important because these are the games that you can spend the next week and a half sort of planning for. Um, and if you come out of the break and you can win, you know, three or four of those first five, now you have some momentum. You feel good. You feel like you have a formula. Uh, it doesn't just feel like you're going out there and doing whatever every night, which is how it felt at the beginning of the season. Um, and yeah, that, that that's something to like hold your hat on. Uh, as we get through to the off season, I, I'll just I'll finish with this. I look at the fir those first five games. There's no back to backs. Okay, that's that's great. But listen to this: the first five games, ESPN, ESPN, TNT, TNT, ABC. At least one of those is getting flexed out. <laughs> drives me crazy, and it's every year. It drives me crazy. I'm always like, man, why? Why do we have to, as a, as a, from the Lakers perspective, from a neutral fans perspective, you don't want to see the Lakers play the Houston Rockets on ABC or something, right? You want to see the prime matchups. I get it. But from the Lakers perspective, I'm like, can't we have well, like a nice, you know, team where you're likely to get a, say, double digit win against, let's put the Lakers on national television for one of those games instead of. Hey, you're going to play the Warriors and oh, surprise, guess what? Draymond's back now and it's on ABC, right? I mean, never fails though. Yeah, and I, you know, I was saying, you know, flex out some of those games. I was really thinking that Lakers Pelicans game might get flexed out, mm -hmm. but I'm looking at the schedule for that day. There's nothing else to flex it to. Mm -hmm. So it, it will be Lakers Pelicans. <laughs> that, that will be ugly. And well, that's, that's great. That's on there because of Zion. Right. That's that's the point of that game being on there. And so maybe that is yeah. maybe that is your game. Maybe that winds up being the game. That's the easier one. And that's certainly the to me, that's the must win. I thought, well, OK, the Clippers games are the must wins. But that's the you've got to take advantage of this matchup game um, that's on their schedule. 
but the game, they play the Pelicans again towards the end of the season. And it's also a nationally televised game. So that's, that was the NBA looking ahead and going Zion versus LeBron. Let's go. Let's get, let's get that going. I don't know if we're going to see Zion again this season though, especially there's rumors floating around about a second surgery. We'll see how that works out. But for now that game is indeed nationally televised. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I also out. think that's why the, that's why the Lakers Clippers matchups were all very backloaded mm-hmm. into the schedule because they were hoping Kawhi might be able to come back at this point. I'd be shocked if Kawhi or Paul George stepped on the floor again for the Clippers this season. But I think that's what they were hoping for. They were like, okay, if we put three of the four matchups in March or later, maybe Kawhi will be back and we'll have that on national TV. Uh, it didn't work. It's not going to pan out. <laughs> oh, well. Well, look, the Lakers have a lot of nationally televised games down the stretch. Uh, they've got a number of them. ESPN, NBA TV, even TNT, ABC. They've got some of those games as well. We'll see how this thing finishes out. Lakers Nation, you know that we'll be here with you for the long haul. So make sure you are subscribing to the LakersNation.com YouTube channel. Ring that notification bell. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, you're just listening to the audio version, make sure you're following us over on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review if you would. We'd appreciate it. Uh, Or Spotify, wherever it is. Make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts. Till next time, everybody. Stay safe and see ya. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.